Okay, my wife told me I should tell you that Doug saved the best for last. <laughs> and that I should be proud of my humility. <laughs> Just kidding. So I'd like to start today uh, with a question. And the question is, is it possible to be angry with someone that you've never met? Or say it in another way, is it possible to be resentful towards someone that you don't personally know? Just think about that for a minute. Put, put that on hold as I explore another possibility. You see, I'm thinking about the man that my granddaughter, Bryn, brings home to meet Doug. And I'm losing my earpiece here. Okay, back to service. All right. So uh, whoever he is, whenever he is, and the reason why I said the man, I didn't say the young man, is because Bryn is not allowed to date until she's 40. Uh, so whenever and wherever and whoever that, that, that happens to be, he's got to pass the daddy princess test. And he's got to meet with Doug's approval, uh, her two brothers, her six uh, male cousins, her two uncles, and yours truly if I'm still alive. All right? <laughs> Which, if, if it's 40, probably not. All right. So anyway, uh, maybe you've heard... Doug shared this before in, in a message over, over the years, but when uh, Kelly, my daughter, my princess, brought uh, Doug home to meet us and to say, honey, uh, dad, I think, I think this is the one, uh, he had to pass the uh, daddy princess test. And he has probably mentioned that I was in my kitchen sharpening, he says, a machete. <laughs> it was really only a small old steak knife. But my Sicilian eyes burned into him. And he, and it, no, it really was a, a lethal weapon. It was a butcher knife. And uh, I purposely uh, wanted to scare the bejeebas out of him uh, to let him know how important Kelly was to me. In fact, I remember one time you went to a prom with somebody, and I said to, I said to him, I said, I said, this is my precious daughter. She's the most important thing to me, and you better take good care of her. Remember that? He scared, scared him too. <laughs> it's the face. It's the face. Uh, so, so now that Doug has his own little princess, he wants to know where he can borrow my, my machete, you know. Uh, as for me, I am already locked and loaded. Seriously, let me get back to the, to the question. And, and is it possible to be angry with someone that you've never met, uh, to be resentful with somebody that may have caused uh, a great deal of pain and, and sorrow in someone else's life. I think about the drunk driver who crashed his car into a family of four, uh, leaving four fatalities, while he himself emerged from that wreck without a single scratch on his body. Or how about the drug dealer who sells a lethal dose of fentanyl to your 16-year-old, and you fill in the blank. Cousin, nephew, son. I think that would make me angry. Or how about the road rage that happened not too far from here when a grandfather was showing his grandson the Christmas lights, but he was driving too slow for the three guys were, that were behind him. They pulled him over, took the grandfather out of the car, and they beat him up. That would make me angry. Or what about what happened in the city with a Three teenagers, one 13, one 14, I don't know what the other age was, but they were mugging a young woman 
Uh, one held her in a chokehold while the other stabbed to the death. Stuff like that would, should make us angry. I suppose if we were to search or, or look for the source behind all the misery that's in this world, all the suffering, all the pain that's in this world, we, we probably have to start where it all began, to where it all began and when it all began. And, and we would obviously logically point the finger at uh, the father of us all, Adam and his wife Eve, who opened the door to immeasurable pain and suffering because of an act of disobedience that introduced sin and death into our world. If you think about it, it, it wasn't like he wasn't warned about what might happen if he was disobedient, if he, if he failed that, that obedience test. And, and it's not like uh, it, it, it was a lot of commandments that he had to keep or rules that he had to keep. It was only, only one. In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good, you may freely eat of all the trees that are in the midst of this paradise. But if, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And that, that test, he failed that test. And as a result of that, they opened the portal to untold, unimaginable pain and suffering down through the ages. Think of all the graveside tears that have been shed by mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and sons and daughters for those that have been separated. Think about, think about all the pain. Listen, if, if it's logical and reasonable for us to be angry with the drunk driver who caused the death of four people, then certainly it's, it's right and just for us to be angry with the one who caused such immeasurable pain and sorrow, again, down through the ages. Think about paradise lost. And what could have been? We could have had a world without sorrow and without pain and without death and sickness and, and, and all, all the stuff that we've got to deal with that causes us to experience a life of mixture of both joy and sorrow. You know, it's like that old saying, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And here's the fact. The fact is that man broke it, and we can't fix it. And while man has been wired to be a problem solver, here's a problem that we can't solve. It's bigger than you and I. So faced with this reality, the next logical question is, who's going who's gonna to fix this mess? Who, who, who's going to correct this brokenness? And you know, my grandson, Cade, uh, was about two or three years old. He looked out the back window uh, of our kitchen, and it was fall, and he noticed all of the leaves that were just covering the back uh, patio. And uh, he said, this, this, this was his observation, Papa made a mess. <laughs> I tell you what, if I heard that once, I've heard that probably over the years, a hundred times, Papa made a mess. But the reality is, is that the original Papa made a mess big time. And as a result of that, we have got to deal with our own messes as well. You see, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and, and as a result of that, added to that, I should say, is the fact that we've got to deal with the consequences of Adam's disobedience. That because one man sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and death is passed upon all men because of that one man. Now, you, you might say, wait a minute, wait, that doesn't seem fair. Why should I be held responsible for what, what someone did so many centuries ago? Why should I be held 
Why should I bear the consequences of that? And, and the reason is because God has dealt with, with the one Adam, the first Adam, but God has also dealt with mankind through the last Adam. Jesus is called the second man. And by one man, death and sin entered into the world. So likewise, or the reciprocal is that by one man, Jesus Christ, that one new man, he has is, he is brought about forgiveness and he's brought about eternal life. And, and that through the proclaiming of the gospel. Um, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know I'm so grateful and thankful that you are here. Uh, and uh, I just want, want to tell you that faith comes, did you know this? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And that you can, you, you might be looking around and you might be thinking, I, I wish I had, you know, uh, even a little bit of the faith that some of the people in this room have. Well, if you, I would just encourage you, keep on coming because faith comes by hearing the word of God proclaimed. And I believe that God will give you believing grace and the grace to believe because he's gracious. See, the gospel is the breathtaking story of God coming to rescue man by becoming himself a man. By God the Father sending God the Son in order to fix what was broken. And in the process, in the process, Jesus not only restores all that Adam lost, but he adds infinitely more to us as our inheritance. By the way, this rescue mission would not have been possible had Jesus not, or the Son of God, had not become Jesus, the Son of Man. You see, to deny the deity of Jesus Christ is to do so at the peril of one's own soul. To deny the deity of Jesus is to do so at the peril of one's soul. So very important. But equally important is the knowledge that Jesus Christ is fully man, completely God, completely man. To deny the humanity of Jesus Christ is to miss the single greatest gift that God has given to this world. And that is Jesus come in the flesh, God manifested in the flesh. See, the world was in need of a, of a new man, a man who wasn't broken, a man who wasn't disobedient, a man who wasn't sinful. And that man is Jesus, born of a virgin, which was essential for our salvation. It was this, for this reason that God the Father sent his son to be tempted, to be tested, to be tried, but yet perfect in every single way. He was, and I said this to someone in the bathroom before, I said Jesus was tempted in all areas like us, but he didn't have to deal with a microphone, which I'm having to, to apparently deal with. But Jesus experienced death, although death had no power nor authority over him because he had never sinned. But he did so, experienced death for, for God-defying, hell-deserving sinners like you and like me. The maker of man. Uh, this, is, this is something that Augustine said. And, and, and this is, this is, this is the, great, the greatest story, the greatest paradox, the greatest mystery imaginable. This is what, this is what Augustine said in, back in the third century, that the maker of man was made a man. The maker of man was made a man. So that he, the ruler of the universe, might nurse in the lap of a virgin, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the truth might be falsely accused, the foundation be suspended on wood, 
that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, and that the life might die. How do you wrap your mind around that? As irrational as it was for the first man to not trust or be obedient to the one who's completely trustworthy, God has chosen a Savior who would reflect the very opposite and who would submit himself to the point of death, even death upon the cross. So God had become as humble as man had become proud. Think of the distance that the Son of God traveled in order to become the Son of Man, a human being, an infant. Think about that distance. How, how, could, how could we even measure that, right? Well, well, imagine for a minute. Nick, just stand up for a minute, brother. Just go ahead, stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. But imagine, imagine in the neighborhood, right? In all the neighborhoods around this world, all the raccoons with nuts. You know, they're biting children. They're, they're uh, uh, getting in the garbage. They're getting into all kinds of mischief. And imagine if, if Nick had the ability to transform himself into a lowly raccoon. We'll call you Rocky. Rocky raccoon. And, and he had the ability to transform and then to also change the... Thank you, brother. You can sit down. He had the ability to change the raccoon family kingdom. Now, as distant as that is for a man to become a, a raccoon, it's still within the category of creature to creature. But there is no category when we're talking about the creator becoming one with his creation. There, there is, it's incomprehensible to wrap our minds around. I want you to think about the distance, right? I mean, it's about, what, 6,000, no, 3,000 miles from, from England to, <clears throat> to uh, the East Coast, uh, 6,000 miles from England to the West Coast. Uh, the Queen of uh, England, uh, Queen Elizabeth, and her husband, the Duke of Edinburgh. By the way, you like the way I say Edinburgh? I, I think I have some Scottish in me somewhere that, I know I have some Viking in me, but anyway, I digress. They came to the United States for a royal visit, and you know how, I mean, there was at least nine to ten months of planning that went into their royal visit. They had to make sure that the hallways were wide enough for the queen to walk down so that she would not be touched or touch anyone, and so the hallways had to be wide enough. Then there was all the packing. There was a plane that had to be chartered and fitted for royalty, <clears throat> and then there's all the packing, right? Uh, crowns and gowns, and of course she had to have some black attire just in case somebody would pass away. It would be, it would be you know, uh, appropriate. Uh, she would have 50 pairs of gloves because shaking hands with commoners and touching skin to skin is absolutely a no-no. And then, and then there's her, 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 uh, her meals had to be planned way months in advance, and she doesn't like fish. Do you imagine an English person who doesn't like fish and chips? Anyway, she doesn't like fish, right? Uh, I, want you to, I want you to think about uh, all of that luggage that she brought, her favorite teapot, her favorite tea, pictures of the royal family, an astonishing, listen, and this is absolutely true, an astonishing 4,000 pounds of luggage was brought. You compare that with the king of the universe and how he entered into this world as a as a human being, as a baby, as an infant. Uh, 
What kind of, what kind of reception did he receive? He wasn't found in a palace. He was found in a shed. And upon his, upon his reception, an army was sent to kill every male child, two years old or another, in the village of Bethlehem. This is the way that we treated the Son of God. Not what you would expect from a royal visit, unless that visitor happened to be meek, humble, lowly of heart, who came not to serve, rather not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's some questions. Have you ever wondered why God created the world only to allow man to fall into sin? Why did, why did God orchestrate human history in such a way that it became essential for, for God to rescue man by becoming a man? Why was it necessary for his son to be so mistreated and, and tortured at the hands of vile and wicked men? And why, why the cross? Of all the ways that God could have reconciled us to himself, why did he choose the cross? Could there have been some other way? Well, the sweat drops of blood that Jesus shed in the Garden of Gethsemane and the words that Jesus spoke, Father, let not my will be done, but let your will be done, answers that last question and puts it to bed. There was no other way. If we were to be saved, it had to be through a man who was obedient, who was perfect, even to the point of death. You see, Christianity is what it is because it perfectly expresses the heart of God, the nature of God, and the holiness of a just God who hates sin but who unconditionally loves sinners. The world of men and angels have now come to know the love of God in a way that we could have never understood or known apart from the bloody cross. At the start of this message, I asked the question, is it possible to be angry with someone that you've never met? Now, I want to flip that question upside down and ask you, is it possible to love someone that you've never met? Peter, writing to a group of new believers, wrote this. You love him, even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with glorious, inexpress inexpressible joy. The benefit for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. In that last sentence, that last sentence is the gospel in one sentence. Trusting Jesus Christ equals the salvation of your soul. Oh, that's, that's too simple. No, it's God's grace based upon his achievements and his accomplishments. See how salvation is great, not only because it brings forgiveness and adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God, as great as that is, but there's something beyond that. He makes us heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What, what does that mean to be a joint heir with Christ? It means that we share in all that Jesus shares. And if you've ever read Revelation chapter 5, it says, Unto him belongs wisdom and power and riches and might and dominion forever and forever. And we share in that. Because he's not ashamed to call us 
brethren. And what I want you to do today, more than anything else, listen, I know Jesus is my Lord and my God. But there is, there is a dual nature to, to, this, to this person that we call Jesus Christ. He is fully God and fully man and has two natures, has two wills. And I, I want you to draw closer, especially in this coming year, to the man Christ Jesus, who so identified with us so that we can identify with him and come to him with boldness and confidence, especially in our times of need. Jesus secured for us an unfailing destiny. And that destiny is, is so glorious. But without Jesus having become a human being, we would be hopelessly lost. Because he's divine and because he is his fully man, his bloodshed is beyond being precious. His precious, precious blood. And, you know, beyond the physical aspect of the cross, which is only part of the story, the other part of the story is that he was forsaken. He was abandoned. He was cursed of God. You know, I have to understand that he bore the wrath of God for us and as us. And that goes way beyond anything physically that Jesus endured. You see, I deserve to have been forsaken and abandoned and cursed, but he became cursed for me in, 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 in my place. I deserved hell, but that's exactly what Jesus experienced for you and for me. Salvation is not only a rescue mission of the lost. It's so that we might be partakers of his glory, the glory that belonged to the Son of God in eternity past. We can now have a part of, that's our destiny. And I don't understand all that is in store for us because eye has not seen and ear has not heard, but the Holy Spirit has revealed some of that to us. And what I know is that there'll be no more sickness and there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more death and there'll be no more, no more sin or temptation. The tempter will be removed. We'll no longer struggle with this desire to, to, to do what's wrong or do what's right. But when we shall, shall see him, we shall be like him, for we, we shall see him as as he is, and as perfect as he is, we'll have glorified bodies. And for those of you who are suffering physically in some way, we're going to have bodies just like the Lord Jesus Christ, incorruptible bodies. When we put off this corruption, we shall be clothed with glorious incorruption. This perfect man, Christ Jesus, completely, completely perfect, fulfilled the will of God, perfectly, and as a result of that, he dealt a death blow to the prince of darkness. You know, the very first promise in Genesis 3.15 was that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, and that's exactly what Jesus did. I don't know if you saw the uh, Passion of the Christ. If you haven't, I, I just commend that to you. You'll get an understanding of the physical aspect of the cross, but in the opening scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus comes away victorious in that garden, his, his, just, his mind is made up. He set his, his, his heart like, like a flint to go to the cross. And there's a serpent there. And, and the opening scene is that he crushes the head of the serpent. That is symbolic of the fact that Jesus destroys him that had the power of death that is the devil. Through death, Jesus has conquered death for us. But have you ever noticed how how we love to avoid pain. 
our, our thermostats are set on maximum comfort, right? I mean, in the summertime, we've got to have the AC. In the wintertime, we've got to have the heat. You know, we, we, we want to be perfectly comfortable all the time. We don't like pain. Imagine going to the dentist and you need root canal and telling the dentist, Doc, I don't need the Novocaine. Just go ahead, do your thing. People who like pain are mentally disturbed, right? No, we, we don't like pain. We, we avoid pain every, every opportunity we get. Jesus didn't avoid the pain of the cross. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but they, they took wine and they mixed it with myrrh, which would have been a sedative. That would have taken the edge off of, of what Jesus was experiencing, but it also would have dulled his mind. But he refused to drink it because he had to so identify himself with us. He so much identified with us. See, the question is, how could God empathize with us, with our suffering or with our stress or distress? If he has never been distressed, and how could God ever, ever suffer unless he became a man to identify with us? It's a fact that if you take two acoustical pianos, put them in the same room, and you, and you bang a chord on one piano, while not, no human hand has touched that other piano, that other piano, that same chord, will gently respond. It's called, a, it's called a sympathetic response. When we are struck, when we experience pain and sorrow and suffering, the Scripture says, in all of our affliction, he was afflicted. He identifies with us. And, I mean, listen, that's the reason why on the road to Damascus, Jesus called out to a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He takes it very personal when his children suffer. And he knows what you're going through. And he knows the difficulty. He knows what it's like. Listen, he knows what it's like to deal with finances and, and to have customers who owe him money because he was a carpenter. And that had to have been a fact. So he identifies with us. Did you know that the victory that Jesus won was not his own? That because he's not ashamed to call us brothers, he also has identified with us in victory. He's, we've, we have conquered the world, flesh, and devil through Christ. We walk in his triumph. Of all the ways that God might have gone about reconciling us to himself, why did he choose the cross? Why this way? Was there no other way, as I said before? The cross reveals the infinite distance that God traveled in order to become one with us, to bear our burdens, to bear our iniquities. Uh, it reveals the incredible justice of God, and it reveals the mercy of God, and mercy triumphs over judgment. So the creator to show the exceeding greatness of his love and power toward us fashioned the plan by which, by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God, God chose one who would be just and holy to die for those who are unjust and unholy. Perfect substitution. In the third century, Augustine, I mentioned him before, he, he also said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in everyone that only Jesus Christ can fill. There's a God-shaped hole on the inside of every human being that only can be filled by Jesus himself. What's he saying? That nothing in this world can, can, can fill that gap. Nothing in this world can, 
can make our, our brokenness be mended except the one who made us, the one who created us. Nothing in this world will satisfy us. Listen, the, we were made for more than to experience a brief ex, expanse of time on this planet. We were made for more than just, just filling our, our houses with stuff that never really satisfy us. I love what uh, Jim Elliott, who was a missionary, who was martyred, wrote in his, in his journal before his, his uh, execution. This is what he said. He said, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love that. He's no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That, that, that's simply saying that the pursuit of, of temporal things can't satisfy us. It, it, it never will. That new car will only, the thrill of it will only last as long as the new car smell is there or the first ding appears, right? Uh, new house, right? New house comes with new problems, right? Everything eventually turns to dust and rust, right? Even that significant other that you may be engaged to or you may be married to, they can't fill that that void that's in your heart. And it's a wise couple that comes to the realization that I can't expect from my wife or my husband to, to, to fill that part of me that only God can fill because only God can be the one to make us whole. Uh, I personally loved the Bee Gees. They were a group of brothers called the Brothers Gibb. That's why they're Bee Gees, right? But they were they're really a celebrated group back in the 60s and 70s. And, and there's one song that I'm thinking about that is such a soul-searching song. The title of it is, How Could You Mend a Broken Heart? Great question. How could you mend a broken heart? And the lyrics go... How could you stop the rain from falling? How could you stop the sun from shining? Please, the cry is, help me mend this broken heart and let me live again. Reality is that we can no more stop the sun from shining than fix our own brokenness. We can no more stop the rain from falling than fix that void that's in our heart. But I know someone who can and his name is Jesus. And he's come that we might have life, and that we might have it more abundantly. September 2020, Kathy and I will be married, wait for it, 50 years. I know you'll say, Pastor, you look so good. <laughs> Kathy, you look so good for 50 for being married almost 50 years. That's amazing. Oh, we were married when we were nine years old. <laughs> now, I say I had to include myself in that because I was 22. If she was nine years old, that would have been really weird, right? But you know what? We, we weren't supposed to celebrate 50 years. In fact, we weren't supposed to celebrate 15 years. And we weren't even supposed to celebrate five years because after a couple we were headed toward one of the statistics just like everybody who's ever gone through that divorce before. But something happened in, in between. Uh, my wife and I, in my mother's kitchen, <clears throat> my brother-in-law Frank led us both to the Lord. We didn't come to Jesus because we wanted our marriage fixed. 
We came to Jesus because we, we wanted us to be fixed. And when Jesus began to fix us, it, it began to affect our marriage. And I think we've got a pretty good marriage. See, Jesus came to fix your brokenness so that you would truly live again. I mentioned my wife because uh, my wife, I don't know anybody who hates broken things more than, than my wife. If something breaks, throw it out. But honey, I could try to fix it. Not throw, get rid of it. Throw it out. Be, I want to get the parts together and get crazy glue out and see what I could do. But I, I know it'll never be the same as when it was brand new. And I could never really fix it well. Aren't you glad that God looked at us in our brokenness? And, and, and he didn't say, let, let, let's just throw them out. Let's just discard them. He takes us broken, crushed, battered, bruised, and he does something. He doesn't just glue us together. He makes us whole. He, he makes us new. He exchanges beauty for ashes and joy for sorrow and peace where there was once chaos and confusion. That's what he does, and he does it well. Remember what Peter said, that last verse? I said that is the gospel in one sentence, that the benefit for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Can I just speak to you for a moment? If you've never if you're not a follower of Jesus, if, if, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, but today might be the day that you do, can I tell you that that trusting him equals salvation of your soul? Because it's based upon his merits and his accomplishments, not yours. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, the gift of God. What I, what I want you to walk away with, everyone, what I want you to walk away with is to, is to treasure the gift that God has given to us in the man Christ Jesus. See, God will give himself away to us, but God specifically gave himself away to us in the form of a baby, in the form of a man, and that man went to the cross. And I, I, just, I just would love for you this this coming year, to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the more you grow in him, the more whole and well you will be. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you heard me say today that God the Father sent his son to rescue you from sin and from death, to give you eternal life, to make you an heir of God, and to join there with Christ. If you would like to pray, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. But let it just come from the heart. It, it, you know, we say this often. It's not magical words. It's, it's the heart being open to what God can do. And if you're open to what God can do, God will do amazing things. He does all things well. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share this message today. 
And as we, as we come to the end of this year and we come to the beginning of a new year, I do pray for great grace to be upon living word, for great faith to be upon us for the coming months in the coming year, that we will grow deeper in love with Jesus. Though we've not seen him yet, we love him. Though we see him not yet, yet we love him. Jesus, we thank you. And if you'd like to pray that prayer this morning for the very first time, invite Jesus in your life. You just kind of say something like this in your heart. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. I thank you that you have died for me, that I could be set free. I receive you now by faith because of grace. Jesus' name. Well, everybody's still in a place of prayer. If you prayed that for the very first time, would you just look at me for a minute? I'd like to make eye contact with you so that that I can be praying for you during the week. Would you just give me a, a glance from any other portion of the room? Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Let's all stand together as we worship one more time.